Hello and welcome. This is Jonah Steinberg. I'm a Jewish chaplain at Harvard and the director of Harvard Hillel and so glad to welcome you to this conversation about the themes week by week of our Torah readings. And I am so glad to be joined for this week's conversation by two wonderful people whom I will introduce in a moment. But first, as to our Torah reading, Matot and Mas'e, the two portions at the conclusion of our Torah's Book of Numbers. Matot, tribes, the divisions of the people of Israel, and Mas'e, the journeys, the stops along the itinerary of the ages-old travel to the Promised Land. With me to reflect on these themes are two recent alumni who have had a very special role in taking Harvard peers of all faiths and backgrounds on an annual trip to Israel and to the Palestinian territories with a remarkable itinerary. Two people who have so thoughtfully led 50 students each year in getting to know up close the segments of society that populate the amazing and challenging landscape of present day Israel. I will let my guests here tell the story of the Harvard College Israel Trek themselves, but let me say that for seven years, the program has received some 300 applications each time around for the 50 seats on the trip, and we were just about to double the number to 100 participants before the pandemic struck, and we are planning for that number in the coming year. Uh, two other things I often say, or most often say, about the Harvard College Israel Trek, which really is a student story, peer-led by students like Adam and like Ellie, um, for their fellow undergraduates at Harvard. First, the itinerary, as I've said, is absolutely stellar. I don't mind saying that the trip's participant leaders and planners uh, shamelessly use the Harvard name to open so many doors at the very top levels of Israeli and Palestinian society and government. And I always also say that when Trek participants come back saying, wow, it's complicated over there, that is exactly the right result and a thousand times better than thinking they know it is one particular way from what they may have read and heard on this side of the sea. Um, also, before introducing Ellie and Adam more fully, let me express gratitude to some other former students, now alumni, who first created the Harvard College Israel Trek. Yoav Schaefer and Zaki Jamal, Nusair Yassin, now aka Nas Daily online, Yael and Sharon Stavesky, and several cycles of student leaders through the subsequent years who have given so generously of their ideas and their energy and their time and their time and their time and their time to sharing Israel with their Harvard peers on a trip that is truly transformative all around. Uh, and let me also mention here my dear former colleague at Harvard Hillel, now a leader on Israel programming at Hillel International, Lauren Cohen Fisher, who became an integral part of the trek along the way and helped to lead it with Ellie and with Adam. Uh, now, in, to introduce Ellie and Adam, Ellie Bloom is a 2020 graduate of Harvard College, where she was in Adam's house and concentrated in economics. Ellie lived in Israel as an expat with her family during her school age years, and then returned there for a pre-military Mechina course before coming to Harvard. Ellie is now in New York working at a bank and is very happy that Adam happens right now to be visiting the city. 
And Adam Nahari, also a 2020 graduate of Harvard College, was in Kirkland House and studied philosophy and computer science. He is now a member of the portfolio support group at Berkshire Partners, a Boston-based private equity firm, in which capacity he partners with portfolio company management teams to drive value creation initiatives. Adam also advises the Predictive Medicine Group at Harvard Medical School and Boston Children's Hospital. Adam was born and raised in Israel, and before coming to Harvard, he served for six years in the Israeli Defense Forces Military Intelligence Unit, Shmone Mataim, 8200, famed, I may add, for its selection of recruits who excel in rapid adaptation and speedy learning, which certainly describes Adam. Uh, while in college, Adam was an active member of our Jewish community, as was Ellie, and led the Harvard College Israel Trek for four years. Ellie, perhaps I can start by turning first to you. Matot, tribes. Um, for all their sophistication, many students at Harvard may think of the state of Israel and of the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea before they go on trek as being comprised of two groups, Israelis and Palestinians, as though those were monolithic blocks. Not so anymore when they have experienced the trip there with you and with Adam, for instance. Israel's president, uh, Reuven Rivlin, who has sometimes figured on the Trek's itinerary, has spoken of Israel's four tribes, but really it's even more complicated than that. So I wonder if you can tell us something about sharing the variety of Israel with 50 Harvard students in 10 days. And also, I wonder what you think it is that generally is most eye-opening or most surprising to Trek participants when they get up close to Israel in that regard, and what it's like for you to lead them on that kind of whirlwind encounter. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for, for having me and for having me together with my friend Adam. This is um, a really, really fun way to spend the evening for us. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that inspired me to want to lead Trek most was reflecting on the time that I spent in Mechina. I remember having Israeli peers my age who would ask sort of a question that I, I had never thought to ask when I was high school aged in America, which was sort of, um, what do they think of us there? Like, how do they see us there? There's just sort of this awareness that um, their story is being told and, and it's being told on the news by people whom they've never met. And um, I was sort of struck by this idea that, that a person my age would be self-conscious about how they were being represented uh, to people that they didn't know. Um, and I was sort of in like, curious about that question when I started interviewing participants. What do you think of it there? What do you think of the people? And and people dive right into to dividing people into camps. You must be this way. You must be that way. And I thought of Trek as this great opportunity to to show what we know is obvious. When we you know live in the world. Everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own affiliations. And we've had sort of really remarkable um, breakthroughs of introducing sort of anomalies to to the narrative. People who don't really fit um squarely into one camp or the other um and also not anomalies also you know the the 
average people that make up a really beautiful and vibrant and complex society. And by the end of it, we, you know, th there are very few consistencies track over track. We have very different experiences and certainly no agenda other than to just expose. Um, but by the end of it, you sort of always get to this point of, well, I really feel something for all of these people. I really feel something for both sides. And, and it's said really beautifully by Amir Tal, we lead the track with, which is, you know, the, these are people who feel love and you can feel love for them on both sides. And, and you can be pro people, not pro one camp or the other. I, I am, I'm thinking about what Elliot just said and in turning to you, Adam, um, and thinking about, um, well, much like our friend Avishai Ben Sasson Gordis, who appeared in a recent episode of this podcast, you are one of the people in our Harvard community who most keeps me feeling relatively sane in what I call my allergy to despair when it comes to Israel. That is to say, knowing you keeps my optimism regarding Israel from feeling like a, like a delusion. Um, and the Harvard College Israel trek does not shy away from taking some very hard looks at some of Israel's very hardest problems. And for all that, as Ellie's indicated, Trek participants consistently return from the trip uplifted and excited and inclined to stay engaged. Now, I wonder how you think about why that is. I know it has a lot to do with leadership like yours and Ellie's, and I wonder also what you think it is about Israel itself and about the stages of the Trek journey that brings about uplift rather than despair. Yeah, I, I think, Jonah, that has a lot to do, A, with um, going on such an intense, complex, um, em emotionally uh, um, challenging and interesting experience with a group of 50 peers, I think that that's a very special experience. Um, and just going through a journey like that with other people um, really brings a group together. So I think that that's a big part of the uplift that people feel. Uh, and I think that it has a lot to do with um, the, the country itself, it's many tribes, as you described, um, but also the different issues that we try to um, touch upon and explore as part of the trip, whether it be the geopolitical situation in Israel-Palestine, whether it be issues of religion and state or church and state, um, whether it be the Israeli economy and startup nation. So really trying to in 10 or 14 days, really get a small taste of each one of these different things and learn more about them and, and really experience them. Uh, I, I think that that's a really special experience. Yeah, having been along for, for parts, I, I, I can definitely affirm what you're saying, Adam. Uh, speaking of leadership on trips to Israel, as an ancient theme, 
Uh, here's a, a midrash, an expansion from ancient rabbinic tradition on a passage in our Torah reading that has been on my mind this time around. On the verse at the start of our second portion this week, Ele Mas'e, these are the journeys of the children of Israel. Um, Midrash Tanchuma elaborates, speaking of the divine and then of the people's leaders, by picking up on a verse in the 77th Psalm. Nachita chatzon amecha biyad Moshe ve'aharon. You, God, led your people like a flock through Moses and Aram. The word there for you led in Hebrew is nachita, and the Midrash suggests that we can read the word as an acrostic, nun chet yut tav, the letters of which can help us understand what more was going on. Uh, so nun, you did miracles, nisim for them, said the Midrash. Chet, you gave them life, chayim. Yud, you split the sea, yamsuf for them. Tav, you gave them Torah, all through Moshe and Aharon. Or in the case of the Harvard College Israel Trek, all through Eli and Adam and your co-leaders. Um, and in another version of the Midrash acrostic, the letter nun becomes noraot, dreadful things the people on the journey are shown. And the letter chet becomes wrath, charon af, also shown to the people. So I really do think what you do on Trek is something like Kriyat Yamsuf, uh, parting the Red Sea for the participants. Um, so let me ask each of you something about the technique of such a journey and its leadership. Um, perhaps Ellie first, beyond just putting the itinerary together each year, something about how you and Adam and your fellow trip leaders think about putting together the experience and the ongoing conversation of the trip. Sure. Well, I think um, the approach that we take to the experience and the sort of cultivating um, the, the type of group growing or group growth that Adam spoke of um, come from the way that we sort of sit down and we all talk about everything in micro groups that we call pods. Uh, we go through together sort of in these mini tribes within our trek, um, where we can all circle up at the end of the day and, and reflect and get to know the people, um, on the trip with us and, and how they're experiencing what they're saying. And I, the pod is sort of a, a forum in which the leader can also humble themselves a lot and, and be a member of a, of a conversation. I people sort of, you know, they can see a leader at the, at the uh, front of a room telling, explaining, and it's easy to sort of wonder what, what are they trying to make me feel or what are they trying to show me and, and what are they trying to hide? And I think one thing that um, was always sort of a part of our mission and always sort of a part of our expectations that we would hold each other to as leaders is that we don't obfuscate anything and we we answer the difficult questions we answer the unflattering questions um and not just factually but also you know from an emotional standpoint um that we are you know prepared to sit in our pod and and participate in it the way we would hope that our participants do um yeah that's what i want to say Adam, speaking of exactly that, the, the first of our two portions this week, Matot, tribes, is actually largely about vows 
which which may not seem immediately relevant, but I'm thinking now of the way in which rabbinic tradition found it necessary and beneficial to create and lift up ritual mechanisms for the release of vows. And, and thinking about that associatively, I get to thinking about the commitments and the convictions in various segments of Israeli and Palestinian society that are almost like vows. And perhaps sometimes they are, they even actually are vows, promises one makes to oneself and to one's fellow people, perhaps invoking the divine. And I think about the ways in which it may be necessary sometimes to find a way of releasing vows or oaths, at least to some degree, if there ever is to be the accommodation that may be necessary to coexistence. And then similarly, I think about the convictions students at Harvard sometimes express in seeing Israel or aspects of Israel in some particular way and being committed to that, which can sometimes also be almost like a sacred vow where one might feel it was a betrayal to modify the formula or the exact framing of the view or of the commitment. And then I think about Trek, which on the one hand makes some of the vows in Israeli and Palestinian circles visible and, and audible to the trip participants, but then also tends to get the students thinking far more in terms of possibilities than may have been the case before the trip and, and different ways of looking at things. So Adam, I wonder how, how you think about that in, in pods and in other aspects about of the trip about about static commitments and about possibilities and how important it is for Ellie and you and Trek leaders to reflect and to represent both to the to the trip participants. I think Jonah, there's a there's a tension that we always like to bring up and discuss with participants between on the one hand really trying to immerse yourself in the experience and um, try to uh, enter Israel without these predispositions so that you can really try and learn as much as you can and really enjoy the culture and the people and their stories as much as you can. And on the other hand, um, maintaining this sense of uh, critical criticism and, and, and critical evaluation of what you encounter and what you engage with while you're there. And I think that's a difficult balance to strike, um, but, but I think that that's one of the main roles that we as Trek leaders try to um, play uh, leading our different pods and, and the group as a whole. Um, and I think also that um, we're always very committed to speaking to and rather than shying from um, complexity and different, sometimes conflicting narratives. We, we really try to, to the best of our ability, um, surface those different narratives and debate, discuss, engage with them. And we do that by um, sharing from our own experiences, but also 
by exposing the trackers to different individuals from Israeli and Palestinian society who hold very different views. Speaking about not shying away from the hard parts of, of narratives, of stories, it's also the case that the, the first portion in our double Torah reading this week contains an account of a retributive war waged by the people of Israel as instructed by Moses against the Midianites. And there is an awful moment, really horrendous to read, in which Moshe is angry at the officers of the Israelite army for not also killing the Midianite women. Um, Midrash in Sifrei Bamidbar comments on that passage, this serves to teach us that every misdeed of a generation is attributed to its leaders, since these have the power to resist or to protest. Um, whichever outcome the Midrash may be siding with there, reading it today resonates fascinatingly with a discourse very much alive in present-day Israel about the capacity or even the obligation of military personnel to think actively about orders. And it's also an occasion perhaps to touch upon how difficult it can be for many, especially on this side of the sea, to put themselves in the shoes of Israelis facing enmity and hostility and violence and responding in ways that, as seen by observers from a great distance, may sometimes seem questionable or incomprehensible. You've each been very close to such questions and to many friends dealing with such questions. Adam, you served in military intelligence for several years before coming to Harvard. And Ellie, you are now interested in that field as well. And so I wonder if I can ask each of you to say something from your own perspective about the intelligence or the intelligibility of armed conflict, not to divulge any secrets, but perhaps to think about, help us think about what can make it so difficult to understand? I think, A, Jonah, that it's understandable that people have um, predispositions and form opinions on what's happening in Israel um, without necessarily taking the time to do uh, a, a lot of research and visit the country and engage with the people. So A, I, I think it's, it's very understandable and we, we all do it. Um, I think that the willingness to really engage and try to try to learn about how the people who are actually experiencing the situation in the country, to, to learn how they perceive it and how, how they tell their own story. I think, I, I think that's a really special experience because it kind of, it forces you to really encounter and grapple with how you viewed the situation coming 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 into this experience i think i think that's a really important part of what makes the trip so special i agree ellie do you want to yeah yeah i think beautifully said i would also add 
I think college is a, is a great time in your life to start to consider how you consume information and what you do with it. And I think on the one hand, we encourage our participants to, you know, open their mind and consider things that they might have considered before. But on the other hand, I think we empower them to be themselves in situations and to ask questions that they're most curious about. And, and the speakers that we bring to them are often like very um, engaged with their questions and very sort of uh, grateful for the opportunity to, to answer to, to what they otherwise would just have, what the participant otherwise would have just gone on assuming. Um, so I think it's sort of this mutual opportunity to, to not only expose information that exists on either side, but also to sort of create new information out of this dialogue between our speakers and our participants, but also between us and our participants and our participants and each other. We, we bring people who have, you know, they're Harvard students, they have wealths of experience. Um, they teach us all the time and what sort of comes out of our discussions, I think, is is new in a, in a lot of um, in a lot of situations, and that's humbling as a leader, but also um, you know a testament to what to what Trek is supposed to do. You know, we also get the account in this week's Torah reading of how the tribes of Gad and Reuven and Chatzis Shevet Menashe, half the tribe of Menashe, request not to cross over the Jordan River into Israel to pasture their flocks and to be given lands outside the boundaries of what becomes what becomes the land of Israel. But in coming to that agreement with them, Moshe places certain responsibilities on those tribes to take part in sharing the burdens of attaining the land and of its defense. And today, those scriptural passages may raise interesting questions about responsibility and about a sense of belonging for Jewish people outside the land of Israel. Um, in this moment, you both are in that category for all that you are so integrally enmeshed with Israel and part of it. Your commitment has been so wonderfully manifest in your taking up the Harvard College Israel trek and leading it. I feel I know so much about that from watching you do it. Um, but let me ask here how you speak about the commitment from over here to friends in Israel, to trek participants and to yourselves. So, I think, I think Jonah, it's, uh, I, A, personally, it, my experience here involves grappling with being away from my family and my very good childhood friends who live in Israel and trying to stay in touch with them from here in the US and overcoming time and different challenges. So I, I think that's a big part of the experience um, that, I, that I share with people when, when I'm asked that question. It's also, I think, uh, an issue of trying to stay in touch with Israel with the place that I grew up in and love and where many of the people that I know and love still call their home. Um, so I, I think that's another another big part of the, the experience of 
living here and um, still being kind of intimately engaged with and involved with Israel. Um, and I think that uh, I, I think that on Trek, it was always a, a challenge on the one hand, there's a sense in which the more time I spent at Harvard, the less I felt like I could adequately <laughs> act as a track leader, just because I wasn't as um, knowledgeable about current politics and I wasn't as uh, knowledgeable about, you know, the the culture and the music. So that, that that's, and, and that's still true. You know, I, I definitely consider myself an Israeli, but each time I visit Israel, that feeling of, wow, things, things are changing. Um, that, that's an interesting experience. I'm thinking to myself about a previous participant in an episode of this podcast, Irit Aharoni, who's been for at Harvard for many, many years and still very much teaches not just Hebrew, but Israel to, to so many. So if, if Irit can teach that, I think you can lead Trek is what, I, is what I'm thinking and, and, and be very truly and authentically Israeli in doing so as well as as well as American and and Ellie I know the the online portal dropped out for a moment but you're back um, so let me ask you about about how you explain to Trek participants what it means to be connected to Israel and and in some ways even a part of it even while living on on this side of the ocean absolutely I think um... I think we've had a lot of participants over the years who um, could identify with my sort of experience having lived in Israel as, uh, as an expat insofar as everybody's been um, an outsider in some sort of capacity by the time they get to Harvard. Um, and I, and I love, love the time that I spent in Israel and I loved living there. Um, but I, I, I did live there as an expat. I'm not Israeli and to be Israeli is a big um, identity marker with um, with a lot of of swagger and bravado to it. Um, but I think in this sort of half expat, half immersed community where my family and I lived, we had this you know beautiful advantage of sort of seeing things from the outside, uh, which I think adds a lot to conversation. It gives us sort of an opportunity to appreciate all that we don't know, but also to ask questions that maybe people on the inside uh, don't think to ask all the time. And I sort of had the reverse experience coming back to America where my parents were from um, when I was in school and, and not totally being an insider in America either because I'd grown up overseas. Um, and so I think to explain being a part of a place that you're not, um, it, it, it works sort of the way Harvard is still a part of us, even though we've graduated. I mean, those are the formative memories are the people are the, are the lessons that you've learned and, and they become a part of you and they, they hold a place in your heart wherever you go. 
It's a wonderful analogy, actually. And I, I, I'm so grateful to you both um, for the trek, uh, for the amazing gift you both and, and other trek leaders have given in leading that program to so many of your Harvard peers, which also has done so much to add nuance and knowledge to conversations back on campus and grateful for this conversation. It's always wonderful to spend time with each of you, and it's a real treat to see both of you together and actually to know that you're both in New York City at the moment and may be able to, to see one another. So really, thanks to both of you for, for the adventure and for coming along on it and for leading it for so many of your peers. Thank you, Dylan. No, thank you. I mean, we, we learned so much from you and, and we've benefited so much from how much you cared about us and and um, how much trust you have in us. And so it, it wouldn't have been the same otherwise. Thank you both.